come up through the realm of the rungs of the bow hunting ladder by choosing to shoot what I want to shoot and use what I want. And that's kind of been my foundation. I think that's why I do have a lot of people, as do you, because I've, I've followed you a long time. You know, if you say something, people typically believe, well, that must be true just because you're not a ship jumper. You know, you're not mm -hmm. switching teams. One year you're a Cowboys fan, then the next year you're rooting for the Eagles. Like, that's just not how that shit works. And people catch on to that. You know, in today's world, you can figure out who's a floater real quick. Anybody listen that wants to be in the hunting industry or is like, oh man, I really want to get in the hunting world and quote unquote hunt for a living. There is no such thing. You don't get paid to hunt. I get paid for content and articles and photos and podcasts. Um, I actually do not get paid to put an arrow through anything. I'm not a rich guy. Probably never am going to be to the point where I can go drop 15,000 on a fully guided elk hunt or go hunt the strip or go hunt the Ponsagon or, you know, I mean, I, I can't that wasn't even an option so I was like well I'm gonna have to start going out by myself and I started going to Colorado solo and different places solo and just truck camping and packing in for seven eight nine days and just figuring it out you know through trial and error and like I said I had the time to do it though and that's what the big key factor was having the time being able to go do it you know like you mentioned the time factor and I think that's where a lot of people I don't think they really realize how much time goes into like what you and I do you always want to have a bunch of tools in your toolbox you don't want to go out there on a mule deer hunt and say well I'm only good at decoying. That's the only way I'm gonna kill a mule deer is I'm just gonna put a decoy on my bow and I'm gonna freaking decoy one in. And, and in certain spots and certain states and certain times of the year, that's a great tactic. But the high country on September 1st and start trying to decoy mule deer bucks in Colorado. I mean, I'm not saying it won't work, but I've hunted a lot of mule deer up there over the years and I've seen it tried and I, I've yet to see one respond in a great way. Now, I'm not saying it won't, but if that's your only trick, man, you're probably not going to fill a ton of early season tags doing that up there. Hey guys, real quick before we get into this episode, I need you to do me a couple of favors. First, go give us a review on iTunes. Can't stress it enough. It's really, really important for me to help keep this free and to help me keep it going. Next, get involved with your hunting rights. Go join Howl for Wildlife. Super simple. Takes a couple minutes. You can even do the free membership. I don't care, but be involved. Lastly, I want you to do yourself a favor and up your shooting game go get you some Phoenix shooting bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%. That's all I got for you. Let's get into this episode. Hi, welcome to Days in the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. Today we're going to talk to uh, Clint Casper. We're going to kind of just pick his brain a little bit and maybe listen to a couple stories and figure out... Uh, why he's uh he's had the success he's had and kind of go from there what's going on man hey not much john man happy to happy to be on it's uh it's always fun to uh jump off mine and, and get on somebody else's and be able to uh kind of be the guest again i uh it was a big transition going from uh guest all the time to host so it's fun to be yeah man it's fun to be a guest every now and again and, and i can just kind of I can talk and let you kind of lead the way. So yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's cool. I haven't got to do this in a couple months. So yeah, I appreciate it, man. Nice. Nice. 
Yeah. When did you start your podcast? Because um, I just recently came across it again. I know you and I met because of Outdoor Insiders, right? I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that was like 2015. Yeah. That yeah. would have been, oh, yeah. Yeah. I was 14 or 15, something like that. Yeah. Yep. I was going to say it doesn't seem like that long ago, but I guess that's working on eight to 10 years or, <laughs> you know, real close to that, crazy. which is, which, yeah, it is. That is crazy. Uh, no, so my, I'm in my second year. I launched in, let's see, it would have been November of 2021. So I'm working in on my second year um, every week. CC Hunt Files podcast, that's via the Working Class Bowhunter platform. So Working Class Bowhunter, they've now got, you know, like four or five. They've got Working Class Bowhunter, the original series. It's like eight years and, and running strong. Mm-hmm. Um, never missed an episode, never missed a week. And then I was the next series. Um, they gave me an opportunity to start my own series underneath them. So I was kind of the guinea pig. And then we've got a series on Wednesday, on Mondays with Drury DeerCast app with the Drury's. And then we recently released Wednesday, we have the Victory Drive podcast, which is like a gun, military, firearm-driven podcast by our good buddy Jacob Johnson. And then we just released a fishing podcast, oh, cool. Tacos and Tackle. So, so yeah, so we're, we're, we're branching out as kind of a whole network. But, um, yeah, I was kind of the guinea pig with the CC Hunt Files. And, uh, you know, that's kind of an idea we threw around for a few years. They they kind of let it up to me as far as they're like, man, you know, we'd love to do something with you. And, you know, if I was at a point in life now where my kids are a little bit older, I got two boys. Easton just turned seven on Cinco de Mayo and Keaton's four. Oh, nice. So they're at a point now where, yeah, where, you know, I've, I'm still super busy. Don't get me wrong, but, but I can, you know, I, I had the time to kind of fit this in. Cause as you know, I mean, it's, um, it's not just, Hey, you turn a mic on and talk into it and that's it. There's a lot more that, you know, goes into a, a good podcast. As you know, you know, you mean, you've been doing this a long time and, and it's, uh, it's pretty much a, it's another full-time job. You're kind of adding to your, your repertoire there. And, yeah. um, so 100%. yeah, it was nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, in, in theory, you flip a mic on and you hit record, but you know, when it comes to the editing and lining up guests and having good guests on and pulling content out of people and, and really, you know, really giving your audience audience what you want, uh, it's, it's definitely not as easy as I guess it's made out to be. Um, no, but, but yeah, no, I, I, you know, I was at a point in life where, you know, early thirties, I was like, man, I've, I've got the time now and, and I can, I can make this spin. So, so yeah, man, jumped all over it. And here we are into year two and going strong and yeah, having a, having a hell of a good time doing it and um, learning as as I go. Like I said, it was, I was a guest on probably, oh my gosh, I don't know how many I was a guest on probably a hundred before I ever started my own. So it was, uh, I thought it was going to be easier than what it was to go from guest to host, but I'll be honest with you. It was actually a lot harder than what I was anticipating, you know, just reading people and, and figuring out how to pull out this really good knowledge that they've got. Cause everyone's a little bit different, you know? So it's, that was, uh, mm-hmm. That was different for me. You know, I, it took me a little bit to like kind of catch on to, okay, how do I pull, you know, this guy knows so much, but he's not real talkative. So how do I make him comfortable? How do I, yeah, you know, there's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, there, so, there's good teachers. There's good teachers out there yep. and there's just, there's people that are awesome at stuff and then there's good teachers of it, you yes. know, and they're not one and the same. Like just because you're, 
you know, the Michael Jordan of what you do doesn't mean you can train people like, I don't know, Phil Jackson did. You know what I'm saying? It's yep, like, absolutely. absolutely. I'm just trying to throw it into context. Yeah. Like, cause <clears throat> I, I can't tell you back in the day, man, I would talk to guys and this is even before podcasting. I would talk to guys and I, I, I read this book from a really well-known whitetail hunter. And at the end of the book, I was like, I don't feel like I learned anything. Like, and, it, and it's not because I know better than this guy and I know what kind of success he had, but he would write stuff like, if you want to kill big deer, you have to go where the big deer are. Right. <laughs> well, no shit, fucking Sherlock. Yeah. Tell me how to find where the big deer are. Yeah. Like, what is it? You right, know, like right. stuff like that. And, you know, through the years, oh, this is what I think year 16 for me on podcasting. As far as I know, I'm like one of the first guys who ever did it. Um, yeah, I was I was going to say you're you're one of the first that that I actually ever knew about that was doing a podcast directed towards hunting 24/7. I mean, and I would have guessed 12 to 13, so I guess it's even older. You know, you've been around longer yeah. than I even thought, which More is even cooler. Rock. I mean, but I, <laughs> I was <laughs> I was well, hey, in the podcast world though, that's pretty cool because typically you know, I feel like a lot of guys do it for a few years and they realize like, man, this is not what I thought. Or they think, oh gosh, I'll podcast and I can make all this money. And it's oh, like, yeah. uh-huh, let me, let me know how that works out for you. Right. Exactly. I actually got rid of the whole money making yep. idea some years ago. I don't even remember what it was now, but that whole Probably business smart- model. Probably a smart move. <laughs> well, you know what? I just figured out, listen, like, okay, so what? I brought in $20,000 worth of my podcast. And I'm like, yep. And, and listen, not that $20,000, and I'm not a rich man by any means. It's just like, why the effort that I got to put into the spinning plates and juggling and talking and being a salesman and all this shit, talking to, to people to try to get them with my hand out to give me money. And I hated it. I absolutely yeah. hated it. It's one of the reasons, like, so what, even when I had the TV show, and I did that from 2004 to 2016, I think was my last episode. That business model is freaking terrible. It's the only business model yeah. in TV where the show has to go and find the money to pay for airtime. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's like, yo, this is, I mean, it was great for the network. So now they've all collapsed, but you know, and, and not entirely, but they've, they're not, they're not what they used to be. You know, 2015, no. I think was like the peak or 2014 was like the peak. And then it was just downhill slide since then. But it's just that whole idea of like, give me money. I will talk about your products. And then I'll go pay for my, you know, whatever, whatever I got to yep. do to produce the content. And like the TV show was like, that was even worse, man. Cause you would take in like $50,000 or whatever. And then you would put out 80,000 to produce it. <laughs> it was like, yeah. it was losing, oh, yeah. like losing money. And, and you know, and I justified it then because like, oh, I'd be spending next amount of money going hunting anyway. And you know, I got a lot of cool stuff and I, I got memories now. I can go back and watch these haunts and blah, blah, blah. You know, right. anything, anything you can do to justify it. But 
what it did to the industry was it created a bunch of snake oil salesmen. Oh, like, <laughs> oh boy. You know, yeah. <laughs> how many guys that were like, oh, this is the best thing since sliced bread. And then the I next year they were that. like, no, this is the best thing since sliced well, bread. I was, and as I was you like, were talking about this, God. a couple of guys that I obviously won't name, but come to my mind immediately where, so in 2020, they shot for Prime, and Prime bows were the best, the fucking best bow you could possibly get. There yep. was no better bow out there. Right. I'm like, wow, that guy really likes Prime. Cool. I've shot Prime. I've tuned him. Yeah, I mean, it's, yep, good bow. I, I wouldn't say for me it's my favorite, but yeah, yeah nope. Okay, cool. Own. Right. Uh, Ten months later, the newest Hoyt comes out, and I'll be damned. The same guy. Now he's got an RX 42 FPG, whatever model it is. And dude, this is the best. This freaking bow. Yeah. I've never held a bow this good. And I'm like, wait a minute. I go back <laughs> 40 posts and yeah. it's the same posts from the year before, but instead of prime, now it's Hoyt. And I'm like, right. huh? Yep. Well then 2022 comes and <laughs> There he is with John Dudley, and now we're with PSE. And I'm like, oh, wait a freaking minute. Like, exactly. holy shit. You know, and like, I, you know, I stay in my lane. I don't get involved. You know, I've been in the industry as a writer for going on 12 or 13 years now and pretty much have written for about every major publication you could name or, or you know, every online deal that's out there and still do a, a ton of work. Um, I think this month I got like 19 or 20 assignments that I'm working on. Oh, wow. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm probably 150 to 160 assignments. Now that's counting online blog stuff, gear reviews, feature art, you know, that's, that's everything. That's, that's not just feature articles, but that's, that's everything, you know? And so I stay in my own little lane, but I, (laughs) I see so many over the years, uh, the loyalty and just where, but the a industry does of, it. The industry oh, did it. it. Just, you know, the, you, you yeah, had to survive. You had to do that. You had to be oh, that. Yeah, gosh, yes. Yeah. Yep. Oh, but yeah. 100%. Honestly, like, so, and that's why as a business, for me, I never really fell into that. I yep. caught myself a couple smart. of times. I caught myself a couple of times. But I had plenty of opportunities to jump ship with people yep. who were supporting me in the beginning or yep. items that I really loved using and I didn't, you know, like, all right. So when we were talking about bows, like I, and I'm not going to name companies and stuff, but you know, I've been with Matthew since 2001, that's yep. 22 years. Yep. And I've had opportunities to leave Matthews mm-hmm. and, and I don't have the greatest now. Like, you know, I'm just, you know, a shooting staff guy. I get free bow a year and that's it. Like I don't, you know, I yep. there's some there's some other perks in there, but there's nothing crazy. But at one point, I could have left for another brand. I could have made, you know, got two bows plus twenty grand a year, and this and that. Like it was a much better deal than I was getting with Matthews. Right. But I was like, you know what? I'm doing this because I love hunting, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to do something that's going to make me have less success in the field and and if i have to like relearn a system or re you know acquaint myself with a different style of bow because you know matthews even though they've obviously progressed over the years there's a certain you know you're holding a matthews 
right? The same oh, thing. Yeah. The same oh, thing yeah. goes with Hoyt. Like you, you, you yep. start with a Hoyt. You, you know, you're holding a Hoyt. Oh, yeah. There's. Yep. I've been with Matthews since 2005, and it's been, you know, I shot professionally indoors for a few years, so it's been target bows through hunting bows through, I mean, probably 20 different models or more. And oh yeah, hundred percent. I'm with you there. Like you, when when I pick up a bow that says Matthews, you know it's a Matthews. That's and that's the only brand I've shot since, like I said, I think it was '05. I bought a Switchback, brand new for five ninety nine ninety nine. And I'll tell you what, I thought I was buying a freaking house. Right. <laughs> I mean, that was a like I my dad. I was a sophomore. <clears throat> And saved up all my money, and I had to I had to dip into my 4-H money because I grew up on a dairy farm, and had to dip into a little of my 4-H money to get this bow, you know. And when I came home, and he found out like what I actually had in a bow and arrows and blah, you know, I had a thousand bucks, which back then, I mean, that was whew, now you can't even buy the bow for a thousand bucks, bear bow. But you know, he, I, I remember, you know. He just looked at me like I was an alien. I mean, just mind blown that I think he was thinking I'd go up to the archery shop and buy a bow for in the whole setup for maybe two, three hundred bucks, you know, mm-hmm. and and because uh, he's not a bow hunter, you know, he's, you know, but being a dairy farmer and stuff and, and grain farming, I mean, he's always been a shotgun guy and, and grew up, you know, trapping and running coon dogs. So, you know, no one in my family ever bow hunted. So that was all new to him, like, and. And I went from like cheaper bows and recurves and long bows and then dove into a Matthew switchback and like actually had to spend real money. And, and oh, yeah, I'll never forget that. He was just like, how much? I mean, just mind blown. Right, like, right. <laughs> like I was an alien with a leg grown out of my head, you know. But uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, I, I know what you mean by when you grab one, you just know it's a Matthew. That, it's it's yeah. just, it's hard to explain. People are like, well, what does that mean? I'm like, I, it's hard to like explain, but like you, they just feel every bow's got it. Yeah. Every bow company builds yep. things a certain way. And they got to feel yeah. too. But the, you know, way, anyway, the whole point feel. was, yeah, the whole point was just, you know, the, it created that, that whole system, that whole, uh, yep. Like model business model created a bunch of, a lot yeah. of skeptical people, you know, in, oh, in, yeah. in, you know, and, and a lot of people were just, chasing money and trying to sell things and it's like you never like back in the day you looked up to the role models or you looked up to the industry guys to say hey this is what i use and this is what gives me help so we get success yep 100 percent. and that got very diluted very yep and I don't even remember where we were going with the original conversation but that's <laughs> that's what happened and uh and anyway, just, um, yeah, no, it, it is with, with the industry. I mean, you're, you're spot on. I mean, you hate to say it and see it, but they've, they've kind of made it to where it's like, you almost can't believe or trust half the guys that are in girls that are telling you stuff. And that's something I've always tried to be very, with my platform and my writing and the podcast and even just like my, my social, my Instagram, like I'm very vocal about what I use and why I use it. And I mean, there's a lot of products that I use that for seven, eight years I paid full price for. And finally they're like, dude, we need to like work with you. I'm like, great. Cause 
you know, I've been buying this stuff for seven or eight years. And, and in my opinion, it's the best. And I've had opportunities to get paid to shoot other people's, but I don't want to shoot other people's arrows because in my opinion, arrow X is the best. So I'm just going to keep paying for arrow X. And then finally arrow Same. X is like, Hey, let's work. And I'm like, per you know, so I've come up through the realm of the rungs of the bow hunting ladder by, you know, choosing to shoot what I want to shoot and use what I want. And that's kind of been my foundation. I think that's why I do have a lot of people as do you, cause I've, I've followed you a long time. You know, if you say something, people typically believe, well, that must be true just because you're not a, you're not a ship jumper. You know, you're not mm -hmm. switching teams one year you're a Cowboys fan, then the next year you're rooting for the Eagles. Like, that's just not how that shit works. And people catch on to that. You know, in today's world, you can, you can figure out who's a floater real quick. I mean, it's not that hard to look at someone's Instagram and be like, okay, this guy had on Sitka three years in a row. It was the greatest thing ever. And then all of a sudden, he goes to the arch rival, Kuyu, and now he's running that. Now, wait a minute here. Now, hold on, hold on a second. How did we, you know, how did we get there? You know, and yeah, it's like you said, it's just, yeah. uh, it's been, and it's something that you got to kind of be, as a consumer, you got to be like smart enough to understand that that's how some people are going to have to make their money in the industry, um, which disclaimer, anybody listens that wants to be in the hunting industry or is like, oh man, I really want to get in the hunting world and quote unquote, hunt for a living. Mm. There is no such thing. I don't get paid to hunt. Uh, you don't get paid to hunt. I get paid for content and articles and photos and podcasts. Um, I actually do not get paid to put an arrow through anything. Now that does help my cause. Right. But you know, yeah, I, I get it all the time now. Uh, man must be nice to hunt for a living. And I'm like, well, I've got five jobs. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm still pretty much paycheck to paycheck. I don't have 200,000 in the bank by any means. Um, I'm not scraping the bottom of the barrel, but I'm definitely not driving Lamborghinis and I don't have four jet skis. Not that I'd want any of that stuff, but right. yeah, I mean, it's, it's fun to have my own schedule and have my own jobs. And, and, you know, I, I, I built roads and bridges at the County highway department for almost 10 years and state job and benefits. I mean, that was great and all that, but, uh, yeah, I was, I was ready to chase my dreams and was at a point in life where I was like, Hey, I'm going to dive into this and give her hell. And it's been about three years now that I've been kind of out of what I call the real world and working on my own and, and doing this stuff. But yeah, I mean, I've basically got, you know, four or five jobs that are juggled around throughout the year. And, uh, it's not, uh, it's not as cookie cutter as everybody thinks. Oh, you just hunt for a living. Yeah, not, not exactly. That's not, it's not exactly, mm. not exactly how it goes. As I'm sure you can attest to, oh, you, yeah, know, 100%. With, with what, with, you know, it's, it's great to do what I love to do and I can farm and hunt and, and write and podcast and all these things. But, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a juggling contest. It's, it's not built for everybody. That's what I'll say. It is, it is not, it is not built for everybody. And if you're someone that really, really loves money, the hunting industry definitely is not the place for you to work because, no. It's, it's very cutthroat and it's very hard to make a lot of money in the industry. So yeah, if, if, if money is your main kind of driving factor, I would say you better go into the medical field or go be a lawyer. Or, I wouldn't say go, go do what you and I are doing. That's, no, that's what I would no. tell people. <laughs>
Definitely not. Yeah, I, no. I've always told people. So, and I don't know if you know this about me, but I, I own a construction company. Uh, yes. I build yep. swimming pools. Yep. yep. And, uh, you know, that people always ask me, oh, you know, this is more so years ago than now. Now it's, you know, few and far between, to be honest with you. But back then, I would, oh, man, what do I got to do to get, you know, to get into the hunting industry, to make money and, and get paid to go hunting and oh. da 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 Same questions I'm sure yep. you got, right? Oh, yeah. And and honestly, I should have made a business of that. My wife was like, you should charge people for all the advice that you yeah. have because you would make yeah. tons of money. Yeah. But the simplified way, the simplified version of what I would tell people is like, listen, you need to find, and I just, you know, it's funny, a guy just thanked me for this recently. I said, you want to get into the hunting industry, you want to do this, you want to do that, get into a job, get into a situation that pays you well and affords you a lot of time. That's what you really need. That's what you need. That's the simplified version of it, you know? So that you can go and hunt often, Maybe not as often as you like, you'd like, but I mean, even myself, I don't go. I'm sure you don't go as often as you'd like to go, but you can go and you still have an income coming in and the, and the, and the house of cards doesn't come tumbling down every time you leave to go on a trip. Yep. Oh yeah. And you know, it's funny. It's like this guy, I gave this advice to a couple of years ago and he's like, he wanted to, he wanted to be a guide and he wanted to be like, listen, I'm like, listen, you want the reality of this? This is the reality of it. And I told him, and I'm like, this is what you need to do. And he just sent me a message like a month ago. And it was like, man, I just want to reach out and thank you. Those words that really resonated with me. And you you told me to do this and you told me to do that. And I went out and did that. And he's like, now I make good living. I got a lot of time on my hands. I could go. Yep. And I'm like, see, that's what you got. That's what you sh- should strive for. Yep. Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah. I mean, I had, I had a lot of PERS time and I had a lot of vacation time when I was at the county and I was able to, you know, save up seven, eight, nine weeks of paid vacation a year. And, um, between the kids and then hunting, you know, that's, that's what I was using it. You know, I mean, I was burning it. That kind of led into me going on a lot of Western trips and, you know, growing up in Ohio, I didn't start Western bow hunting until I was in my early twenties and started going out there. And for the last 12 years now, that's kind of been my jam. I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. you know, if you told me I could either, bow hunt the Midwest forever, every state, but couldn't go out West and hunt elk and mule deer and antelope. Or I could have one of those three tags every year, but I only got 10 days to hunt, but I get to hunt the mountains. I would honestly probably, I would take the 10 days with an elk or a mule deer tag in my pocket over a couple months of having a whitetail tag. And and that's just, I've just fallen in love with everything out West, you know, and, and, uh, but that would have never have happened had I not had a job that I was allotted a lot of time paid off mm-hmm. to start chasing kind of that dream and going out there. And I wanted to be, I wanted to be able to write about that stuff. And I, I didn't want to be a snake, snakes, uh, oil salesman, like you had mentioned, oil, you know, so I'm like, man, you know, if I had some, some, um, editors ask me, Hey, could you do some gear stuff? could you do some Western hunting tactics when I was early on in my writing career? And I'm like, ah, you know, I don't, gosh, I don't really have a lot of experience with that. And I started thinking about it and I'm like, you know, I just need to dive into it and start 
going out there and figuring it out. And that's kind of what I did. And, and the writing kind of pushed me there. And man, it was the best thing I ever did. Cause you know, it's like, that's just, besides being a dad, like my next love is just, you know, freaking bow hunting out West. I mean, I still love turkeys and whitetails. I mean, I cut my teeth on it, you know, here in Ohio, but mm. man, there's just, there's nothing better than elk and mule deer for me. That's just, that's my jam. Um, yeah, I just, Glassing and spotting and stock bow hunting, man. It just for me, that's what makes me tick. Yeah, that's awesome. But without having some time to allow me to go do that, because you know I'm not a rich guy. Probably never. I'm going to be to the point where I can go drop fifteen thousand on a fully guided elk hunt, or ten thousand on a fully guided mule deer hunt, or go hunt the strip, or go hunt the Ponsagon, or you know, I mean, I mm. I can't. You know that that wasn't even an option. So I was like, well. I'm going to have to start going out by myself. And I started, you know, going to Colorado solo and different places solo and just truck camping and packing in for seven, eight, nine days and just figuring it out, you know, through trial and error. And like I said, I had the time to do it though. And that's what the big, the big key factor was having the time being able to go do it. You know, like you mentioned the time factor. And I think that's where a lot of people, I don't think they really realize how much time goes into like what you and I do, like to have the little bit of success that we do scratch and claw into the amount of time that it takes to get to those points or create those opportunities. It's, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of guys that would do quote unquote, my job or your job for a month during September mm -hmm. and would say, yeah, I'm good. I really don't love hunting that much. Like I thought I did. I, I actually, I could have done half of that month and that would have been plenty for me. You know, like last year, starting at like the 25th of August, I was in Utah, chased mule deer around, went straight to Colorado for two weeks, came home for five days and then spent the next 16 days chasing bulls in Colorado, came home and was right into whitetail season. By the time my whitetail season started here in Ohio, most guys hadn't hunted one day yet. Right. I already had, or, well, I should take that back. Maybe they had a few days of chasing turkeys around. I had already bow hunted 30 days in four states, over 30 days in four states for turkeys. And I had uh, almost 50 days logged on the side of a mountain between Colorado and Utah. So I was already at almost damn near 80 days of bow hunting for the year. And most guys were just ready, getting ready to start day one. Right. Right. And, and, and that's not beating my chest. That's just like, I, when I say I love to bow hunt, I love to bow hunt. Whereas, you know, so to come do my job, quote unquote, and, and follow me around, like, yeah, you better really love to bow hunt because <laughs> yeah. I, I'm doing a lot of bow hunting in a year, you know? And, and I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not all it's cracked up to be, you know, and, and there's times even for me where it's like, gosh, dang, I'm on a grinder of a hunt. I'm on day eight or day nine and I've lost 15 pounds already. And I'm just, you know, you're, you're, you're just scratching and clawing, looking for this from opportunity and you finally get it on like day 13, but you look back and you're like, holy shit, a half a month just went by. Mm -hmm. And, you know, half of that time you were there you're fighting this internal battle of mentally yourself in the game. And that's where most people don't understand. Like, yeah, it's hunting and it's fun, but it's, it's not always fun. In fact, a lot of times on the Western hunts, especially the solo ones, I mean, 
it truly is a you versus you game and it's a mental versus mental game, you know, and if you, you know, if you let yourself slip and go down this rabbit hole, even just for a day, I mean, it it can completely change your whole outcome of what's going to happen the next 10. And, uh, I've only ever left one hunt early and I'm, I'm glad I did it because for the whole next year, I had to look in the mirror and I've told this story before, but it was a Colorado mule deer hunt. And I left on day eight and, and was going to stay till day 10. And, uh, I was with Brian Barney the week before chasing antelope around and I got really bad heel bite. I had a pair of brand new boots and I, I thought I had them broke in good enough, but obviously not. Mm. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I'd have to ask Brian, but I'm pretty sure I still hold the record for the worst heel bite he's ever seen. I know up until a few years ago, which by the way, is not a good record to hold by no, any no. freaking means, but, but, um, <laughs> that was the record I had for a while. I'm pretty sure I still got it, but you know, I had every excuse under the sun. I was fighting heel bite. I was, I was running into, you know, way more hunters and people. Um, I was running low on food. I had all these excuses in my head and I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to have to accept defeat and, uh, I'm going to pack out. So on day eight that morning I glassed and then headed out and I remember feeling pretty good about it. I'm just like, you know what it is. You win some, you lose some. And I got back to the truck and it was about seven and a half miles from where my camp was up over a big pass. And then it was all downhill from there. So the pack out actually wasn't too bad. Got back to the truck and you know, I got a 26, 27 hour drive back home. And mm. I thought, you know, I really hope I don't regret this, but I don't think I will. So I got about three hours down the road and, um, <laughs> and regret said, <laughs> I, 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 I'll never forget. I pulled in to get gas and was going to grab a water and an energy drink or two. And I remember I looked at, I, I, I looked in my rear view mirror to back up into this parking spot i was gonna back in and i was gonna get my stuff and then get gas after i was done with that i was gonna use the bathroom and get you know get all that shit out of the way get my drinks maybe grab a snack then pull up pump my gas and get out of there and i'm looking in my rear view mirror i'm backing up and i don't know what happened but i looked at myself and it just hit me and i'm like son of a bitch you quit you know you quit on yourself like you quit on you and i'll never forget that moment I'm, i'm like Gosh, damn, I spent all year training for this hunt, high country mule deer, you know, I was camping at like 13,000 feet, hunting Mm. at like 13,500 to 14, you know, I I think the one peak was like, there was a 14er, I think there were two 14ers in that unit and a bunch of 13ers, and I mean, living up in the clouds and trained all year, and I'm just like, damn, like you, you, you quit, with two days to go, you you failed yourself on this one. You know, nobody was, you know, nobody died back home. I wasn't dying. No one was, you know, nothing drastic had taken place where it was, I had to leave. I just mentally threw the towel in. And I remember driving home. I got to a certain point. I drove another couple hours and it got so bad. I pulled off and I actually was like, okay, should I go back and hunt two more days? And at that point I was like seven hours in and I'm like, okay, by the time I'd get there, and so where I parked, it's like I said, it's like seven and a half, eight miles to camp. Well, it's all uphill. Mm-hmm. The whole hike, the whole hike in, is completely up. 
It's like 3,800 feet of elevation gain. And the whole hike out basically is downhill. So the whole hike in, it took me about five and a half hours. I'm like, okay, so I'm doing the math and I'm like, well, this isn't even worth it. By the time I get in there, I'm going to be able to hunt a morning and evening and I will have to pack out the next morning. So I'm like, <laughs> well, at this point you've, you've, you know, I've fucked myself. Like there's no, you made a decision. You got to stick with I it. I made a decision. So I thought, well, you've got, you know, 20 more hours to think about it. And then once you get home, you're going to have to forget it and move on. And that's just all there is to it. Well, that didn't work out so good for the next year. <laughs> that's all I thought about every single day. Shit. You not. I thought about how I quit on myself. And like I said, it was the worst feeling, but it was the best thing that ever happened because that was in, that would have been like the fall of 2016 that that happened. And, um, I don't know if I've been on a hunt yet where I haven't added more days to a hunt unless I killed early and then I came home early. But now I'm trying to figure out how to add days. You know, never once has it now crossed my mind because I know how shitty I felt. You know, I just, man, to, to give up on yourself and let yourself down, for me, that's about as bad as it gets. And, and for a whole year, I had to wait to redeem myself with that. And man, oh man, that was rough. I mean, it just mentally, that was, uh, yeah, that kicked my ass for the next 365 days. I'm not going to lie. hundred percent uh, regrets the worst. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I was just, we were just having this exact conversation. I had, um, uh, Weston Paul with me from mountain tough on my last yep. podcast. And we were just ha literally having the same conversation. I would tell them, I was like, there's been some hunts that I had to leave early because something happened, but not because right. I only had one hunt where I gave up and yep. came home and man, that's like that, that stuck with me for years. It doesn't really bother me yeah. anymore. Like I don't, I don't definitely don't lose sleep about right. it now, but right. you know, it was 12 years ago, probably something like that. But you know, it's, but it's still, I can still remember it. I can still oh, you yeah. know, easily get back in, into that mindset and be like, Oh shit. Like I remember giving up on myself. Not, it wasn't even like, it's crazy. Cause it wasn't even like an adversity thing. It was just like, right. I didn't want to be there. Yeah. I yep. didn't, I, it was yep. weird. And I never, yep. and like, by the time I got home, I was like, man, I do I wanna, anything to be back. <laughs> I want to go fill this tag right now. Yeah. Um, yep. you know, I, yep. I, I've had, and I've had a similar feeling, but it's not, it's not as bad because you, right. it's not your fault. We're not, not necessarily yeah. your fault. You, there, it's like, you can't do anything about it. Basically yep. like last year, I didn't fill my tag in South Dakota and like, I was happy to be leaving that day because I was just so beat up. Mm -hmm. And then the very next morning I was like, fuck, I wish I was back there right now. Oh yeah. Yep. I wish I was back yep. there right now. Like, yep. And you know, uh, it, it, it regret will just will tear you up. So, yeah. you know, I, yep. I, I tell my kids all the time and I said this on the last podcast, but you know, I never regretted anything I've ever done. Just the things I didn't do. And, yep. you know, obviously that doesn't mean go out there and just freaking willy nilly do shit. You got to think things through, but it, 
you gotta you gotta give it your all, you know, otherwise yeah. you'll feel terrible afterwards. <laughs> At least I mean, guys who are wired like you and I, I don't know. I'm sure there's people that, that doesn't bother them, but yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, I couldn't agree with that statement more. You know, it's I wouldn't say I regretted anything about the hunt. I just it was a regret that I basically quit on myself and was just like, okay, well, I succumbed to the excuses of why I should leave, knowing that it probably wasn't going to work out great, knowing that I was probably going to feel this guilt. And then I get down the road and it hits and I'm just like, ah, shit. But, you know, it's, it's crazy too. Cause, um, you know, I do a lot of seminars at like the deer and turkey expos and different shows and things. And, and I get asked a lot, you know, well, what's success, you know, cause I've been, I've been a bow only guy for 12 years, you know, so I'm, I'm doing a lot of these hunts quote unquote the hard way. Cause you know, obviously with a muzzleloader or a rifle, you know, I, I can extend my range, but I'm just, I just, I just love to bow hunt, you know, and I have guys ask all the time. They're like, well, you know, you don't fill every tag, but with a gun, you probably could fill every tag. And I said, yeah, I mean, obviously drastically my odds would go up. I said, but that's not how I measure all success by any means. And I get asked that a lot. Well, what's the measure of success? And for me, you know, some of my most successful hunts aren't even hunts where I released an arrow. I can think of a, oh, just a grinder of a Colorado mule deer hunt. I was solo for 11 days. Um, it would have been 20, 2018, I believe. And, um, third year in a row going to Colorado solo on this one and, uh, just awful weather, uh, moved camp probably six times was just putting, I mean, I mean, oh, it was well over 150 miles when it was all said and done. I mean, just, I mean, crazy, crazy, crazy miles on my truck, crazy miles on my feet, you know, just doing everything I could. And I, I just couldn't stumble in to some, you know, to good bucks to save my life. I, I just, I just couldn't, you know, I was just finding either no deer or I'd find a little bachelor group with a couple bucks and some does. I, I just couldn't bounce into deer. And, uh, finally on like day nine, I get into a couple really good bucks, you know, that I'm like, Oh, I'd shoot. There were three of them in this group of seven. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, finally, you know, I got two days to make it happen. And long story short, I get within 50 yards of these bucks and, um, it, it just, you know, I, I, I was running out of time. So I had to push the stock a little bit. Um, my, my wind, the thermals were going to switch. It was two 30 in the afternoon. So I'm starting to fight that line between thermals shifting and starting to pull down, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, gosh, I'm going to have to kind of go for it. Now they weren't in the greatest spot. Mm -hmm. Um, so I knew it was going to be an hour and a half till I got there. I'm like, man, that's going to be pushing it four o'clock. Like, gosh, if these thermals switch, like I knew it was risky, but so long story short, I go on the stock, the thermals end up switching partway through. I knew that was probably going to end up killing me. And it did. I get busted at 50. I needed, you know, I needed him to stand. Um, they were bedded, but with just no shot, you know, and et cetera. But I remember leaving that hunt packing out and, thinking to myself, you know, between storms and people and low numbers and, you know, to, to go 11 days and to grind it out. Like I was super proud of myself and I'm, I'm usually, 
I'm my biggest critic by a long shot. You know, I mean, when, when everybody else is patting me on the back going, Oh man, you're, that's awesome. You know, Wahoo, you're great. Blah, blah. I'm always like, ah, you know, I can always find something that I did wrong or should have done better. I mean, I've just always been that way, like with sports and stuff, I could have, you know, 12 tackles in a football game or something. And then people are like, Oh man, you had a great game or, you know, whatever. And I'm like, ah, yeah, but I missed two. You know, I, I don't know. I've just always been that way. But on, I remember on that hunt, I was like, gosh, damn, I did everything I could have possibly done. And then some. And I still consider that maybe one of my most successful trips. I, I honestly never even got to release an arrow, but I, I was out there 11 days, grinded hard. I mean, I had plan A through D and I ended up going plan like A through freaking M, it seemed like. <laughs> I mean, I was making plans on the fly, you know, and, uh, yeah, I mean, that hunt to me was like ultra successful because that was the first time where I ever had to like go through my plans four or five and then literally sit down in my truck and go, okay, well, we've burnt through those five. Now what the hell are you going to do for the next four days? So I had to completely reroute my whole hunt, you know, by myself on the fly. And yeah, I mean, you know, that hunt still stands there. I gained a lot of confidence in myself and my capabilities from a hunt like that. And I never even got, I was at full draw when those deer busted, just hoping I could get one to stop knowing where the, you know, I had some stuff marked, you know, I knew this one rock was 60 and this other rock was 70. I'm like, man, if I get lucky and I get them to stop, you know, I'm, I'm trying to like whistle at them as they, as they jumped up, but they just completely flew out of there. You know, they, mm -hmm. they got a real good, real good whiff of me, but yeah, I mean, I got back to full draw one time, and it wasn't even a good full draw. It was basically, man, I sure hope he stops at 60 and gives me a look. And uh, But I still look at that hunt as one of the most successful just because of what I had to go through and what all I had to do to even get into bucks where most guys would have been like after day five or six. Like, I remember it was day three, mm -hmm. the morning of day three. Through the evening of day seven, I did not see a mule deer buck. I saw three does in that span. Yeah. I've, I mean, j j I went two before. whole days. <laughs> yeah. I went, I went two whole days in a morning and didn't see a deer. Not even a doe. Two whole, I mean, people were like. I did that too, just recently. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 people were like. I had books, I had a books mean? cliffs hunt. Oh I, yeah, <laughs> that I that I won the tag at this at the expo at, at in Utah. Yep. Oh it's, yeah. It's in my film actually. I just released that yep. film last last season, and man, I went two full days without seeing a freaking a freaking yeah. deer. We saw two yeah. doge crossing the road, driving out in the Brook cliffs. <laughs> in the Brooks like, cliffs, right? Like. Yeah, people people are probably like, dude, were you walking around with a handkerchief over your eyes? There's no way you could not right. see deer there. But oh, the hell you can't. Like <laughs> I mean yeah, it was yeah. rough, man. And you know, that was one of those trips that I like I mean, ultimately I ended up being successful and it was a rifle hunt, so that I kinda helped out. Um For sure. But man, even when I got into deer to find a good buck, I was like, Oh, yeah. oh my God, I can't like, I'm going to fail. And I felt this pressure on myself, like yep. not from people, but like this pressure that I was going to fail that tag. It was the weirdest. I had been there before. Cause I felt yep. that way when I drew my, when I drew my, uh, sheep tag and Ibex and, you know, some of the higher, 
higher, uh, you know, profile type hunts or whatever. And it's like, you feel like you're going to fail the experience and it's the yep. worst, it's like the worst thing ever, man. It's crazy, insane pressure that almost kind of makes you have this sense of desperation, which mm-hmm. for me, and I'm not speaking for you or anybody else, but for me, I know that when I, then when that sinks in, I am not at the top of my game. I start right. like yep. doing things or like, I don't know. It's it's like a little bit more frantic. I'm a little bit more, you know, should I, I second guess myself? Oh, should I do this? Oh no, should yep. I do that? Should I do this? Yep. And when I, and what I, and is what I'm doing the right thing? Like, and that kept, I kept over and over and over saying to myself, I must be doing something wrong. How is yeah. it me? I find little coos deer in thick ass shit in Arizona. You know, I consider myself a very good glasser. And, and I'm like, I cannot turn up. I must be passing them over. I must not be looking. And I would, I was climbing up high. I was going down low. I was looking at everything. And I was like, fuck, this is just nuts. And then I, I would see deer sign, which made it even worse. I was like, man, there's tracks going through here. Like, where are the damn deer? Yep. And what ended up, what was crazy for me is like, so I started reaching out to friends. Like that, like some of them owed me favors, some of them didn't, whatever. But I was just reaching out to anybody and everybody to try to get some intel. And a buddy of mine, he's like, Hey, I got a friend who lives in that unit and he guides. Right. I'm like, You know, at this point, I'm like, Fuck it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Connect, hey, connect, I'll take it. What con- do you got? <laughs> connect connect me with them. So I started bullshitting. Yeah. He's like, hey, listen, you know what? Instead of telling me, you know, me telling you, you know, I'll come out with you tomorrow to go glassing with you. I'm like, you know what? Fuck, I could use an extra pair of eyes. Yeah. And he oh, came yeah. out with me and we went to the same spots that I was already hunting. And I yep. was like, okay, so it's not that. <laughs> okay. Yep. We're looking in the same. We're looking at this the same way, so it's not me, right? And then, right. as soon as I had that realization, and we went into this other canyon, and then all of a sudden, I started spotting deer up everywhere, and yep. who just happened to be they were all in this one canyon. And then that evening, we moved spots again, and we went back to a spot that I had looked at two days earlier, and mm-hmm. that's when I glassed up the buck that I ended up going to kill, and yep. it was like, but. That that crazy progression, like I the self doubt, the you know, you start letting that stuff creep in. Oh yeah, it's gonna affect you big time. Yep, yep. I I did this. so last year. I cashed in a pretty decent amount of points in Colorado on this elk tag, and it was a high country hunt, rut hunt. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're like me and my buddy. We're like eight miles in. You know, and I mean, pretty much on the verge of where if we kill a bull. We're so far deep. We're probably going to have to hire a packer to, to help because it's like yep. by the time we get a bull out, then the other guy is going to be so dead for the next day or two. It's going to affect his hunt. So it's like, so we're back in the wilderness and we're up high. I mean, I mean, we're, we're hunting bulls, you know, we're in like the 19th, 20th and on and we're going to hunt till the end of the season. I mean, we're at, we're at eleven five to twelve five, even thirteen every day. It was crazy how high up they still were mm. above timberline, and then they'd get down into the 
dark timber and I've cashed in, like I said, a good amount of points. And I remember the pressure on that hunt and I never even got to full draw. I mean, I got in on some really good six points that I would have gladly killed. And so did he, but like never even honestly got an opportunity, like to really think, Oh man, it's going to happen. And, uh, you know, it was, I felt that pressure that you're, you described, you know, on your books cliff hunt, because I'm like, gosh, I waited X amount of years and mm. I got all these points. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I remember at one point I was like, okay, Clint, you got to calm the hell down and remember this is a hunt like every other hunt, just because on paper you cashed in X amount of points, like it doesn't, it doesn't truly make any difference. Like you, you got to stop putting this little demon on your shoulder and, and letting him dictate how you feel and what you're doing, you know, but, but I remember thinking like, it was like day nine of like this hunt. And we're, you know, we're just through the midway point. Cause we were out there like, I was 15 or 16 days. And I mean, mm. just freaking, you know, living in a teepee, you know, I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, we're seven, eight miles from the truck. We, we ended up going back to the truck one time to get more food. But I mean, yeah, I mean, we were in there for, you know, <laughs> the whole duration, basically. I mean, besides coming out once on a shitty rainy day to get more food and a few more pairs of socks, I mean, that was it, you know. And, uh, man, I remember just thinking, gosh almighty, like, you know, I'm putting this extra pressure and it's just mentally, it's, it's putting me in a place – I don't want to be. And I remember having to like reel myself back in. And I, I think that's where guys get in trouble is mentally when it comes to that stuff. And then like, you know, uh, I think we get in this mode where, okay, it's going to go like this. I'm going to call bulls in. That's mm -hmm. how I'm going to kill my bull. And then you get out there and they're not responding to calls and okay. So now I'm going to hunt them like a mule deer. I'm going to try to glass them up and either ambush them or spot and stock or, you know, I'm going to try to beat them back to their beds, you know, or, or whatever, you know, but it's like being like what I call Gumby is like a, a, a hunter's best friend. If you can be flexible and a lot of guys, they get in this rut where I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to call my bull in. That's just how I'm going to do it. And it's like, well, you might be able to do that, but here's the deal. If they're not responding to calls or if they're call shy, or if, if, if uh, they've got, like a lot of the bulls we had up there were still um, harem ducks, you know, so they had these huge groups, 50, 60 elk, you know, the, you know, one or two bulls had these huge harems and it's like, okay, well, yeah, good luck calling that bull away. Like, you know, it, right. it calls were, I mean, you could get bulls to bugle, um, but they wouldn't come in. So like our whole philosophy was one guy would keep the bull bugling and the other guy would try to slip in, which yeah, the call plays a factor, but you're not actually calling that bull in. You're just keeping him talking while the other guy slips in. Well, if you're a guy that's just dead set on, no, we're going to set up. And I, the only way I can hunt is call this bull in. I mean, on that hunt, you'd have been shit out of luck because that's the, you know, that was not the way you were going to kill a bull up there. It just, that's just not how it was going to work, you know? And I think, I think guys get in trouble with not being flexible and, and only having basically a one trick pony. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you get pissed and you get mad cause your technique's not working. And like, that's one of the things I've had to learn over the years is like, you know, you always want to have a bunch of tools in your toolbox. You don't want to go out there on a mule deer hunt and say, well, 
I'm only good at decoying. That's the only way I'm going to kill a mule deer is I'm just going to put a decoy on my bow and I'm going to freaking decoy one in. And, and in certain spots and certain states and certain times of the year, it works, man, yeah. that's a great tactic, but you go up to the high country on September 1st and start trying to decoy mule deer bucks in Colorado. I'll tell you what, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying it won't work, but I've hunted a lot of mule deer up there over the years and I've seen it tried and I I've yet to see one respond in a great way. Now I'm not saying it won't, but if that's your only trick, that's that, <laughs> that's your one trick pony, yep. man, you're probably not going to fill a ton of early season tags doing that up there, you know, but if you can spot and stock or you can read terrain and ambush or you can you know, use woodsmanship skills, which I feel like in today's world, I hate to say it, but woodsmanship is like a lost art with a lot of people. You know, there's, there's, there's just, everybody wants to talk about the sexy, trendy stuff like, oh, you know, decoying or, um, we're gonna, you know, like whatever's like the, 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 the sexy way to kill right, stuff, you know, right. you know, like, guys get all bent out of shape about reaping turkeys, you know, and, and whatever. And I'm just like, man, if it's legal, I don't give a shit what you do, but that's not the only way to kill a turkey. And, you know, spotting stocks, not the only way to kill a mule deer and Colin's not the only way to kill an elk, but it's like, man, some, some guys, um, I, I just, I feel like it's, uh, you know, they, they only know how to do like one thing and it's a one trick pony. And then when that doesn't work, it's like, well, well, shit, I don't know. I truly don't know how else to figure it out. And I think a lot of that goes back to good old fashioned woodsmanship skills. And it's like, man, I just, I don't know if we put as much importance on that as we should. And I think on a lot of my hunts, if it wasn't for being able to read the land and read topography and, and read a map, like, you know, and I, and I don't mean read a map on someone sends me an Onyx pin and I go to it. I mean, actually like read contour lines and, you know, figure out, okay, this herd was here. They're heading that way. Oh, here's this Canyon. They're probably going to go up there. Oh, here's this saddle. They're probably going to get up over that saddle. Oh, here's North facing timber. Shit. I got to beat them to that timber. That's probably where they're heading. That's just straight old fashioned woodsmanship skill. Right. You know, that's just knowing what animals probably are going to do based off the terrain and, the topo and it's like man yeah uh, it's it, sometimes i just wonder how much of that are guys lacking and how much more success would guys and girls find if they actually kind of almost went back to the old school foundation of hunting you know way back when when it was hey i've got to learn the animal and learn the lay of the land right. and read tracks and you know it's that stuff doesn't get talked about as much anymore, but man, I sure do find myself using that all the freaking time when I'm out there. Well, I mean, it doesn't get talked about because one, it's not, like you said earlier, it's not as sexy, but two, right, it's, yeah, an, yeah, it's, right. it's an experience thing too. So yep, like, 100%. you know, you coming from a guy like you who's spending, you know, hundred plus days a year, 120 days a year in the field, like my, my buddy Charles, he put it eloquently years ago. I had him on the podcast, and he was talking about the the ebbs and flows of the hunt and how, like, it yep. all you know how it all goes. And and he's like, you get you get these guys that are like, oh, I've been hunting for twenty years, and you know, da 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 da, and yep. 
But then you talk to them and you're like, well, this guy only hunts for a week every year for the last 20 exactly. years. Yeah. Okay. Yep. You know, and that's, so that's 140 days. So he's yep. doing the equivalent of what you get in a year. Right. <laughs> in over 20 years. Right. So yep. like, yep. you got to kind of like step back and take a look at it and like, all right, well, my experience is this. Let me learn the, from the experiences of others. If I can't, you know, if I can't spend that much time out there. So, but you're not going to be able to make those, those decisions, those woodsmanship stuff. I really all hunting really comes a lot of it comes from experience. Uh, it's, oh, yeah. not, it's not all just tactics and implementation of tactics. So it's, it's yep. so much of it goes down to reading the situation and, and being able to recognize what you're seeing and, and coming up with the right decision for that moment in time. Right. So it's, it's hard. It's a hard thing to teach and it's, it's hard for people to understand that they're, they're, they're missing that, you know, I I could blow a bugle. I'm I'm not, I'm not saying this is hypothetically the guy said I could blow a bugle better than anybody, you know, like I have all the practice in the world, but if you don't know when to say to when to blow that bugle, uh, when yep. not to, and, and at what level and what, you know, cadence and like all these things, then you aren't necessarily going to find success. Like you could be yep. the best cow chirper in the freaking on the planet. And it, it's not going to matter a whole lot if you don't know how to apply it and when to apply it and so on and so forth. So there's a lot, there's a lot of moving parts, man. And, uh, oh yeah. No, I, yeah. I mean, it, it'd be like, It'd be like you put Tom Brady out there, which, I mean, I've hated the Patriots and then equally hated the Buccaneers when he was there because I'm a huge Raiders fan, and I still remember the the, the dig on tuck rule with Woodson, and, and, and I don't even want to get into it. I'm a huge sports guy, <laughs> huge football guy, and I still remember crying on my mom and dad's living room floor when that snow game was played for the AFC Championship, and and the Raiders have it wrapped up and Woodson comes in on a blitz and hits Brady and then the tuck rule. And anyways, but Tom Brady's, in my opinion, he's the best to ever do it. Um, I hate to give him that title because I hated the guy my whole life, but he was the Michael Jordan of the NFL for years and years. And it would be like him being able to hit a dime with a football at any distance, but he, but couldn't read a defense. Okay. Well, how good would Tom Brady really be? if he couldn't read a defense and know how to read a route runner and just know off of experience, okay, yep, this guy's in zone. He's reading, you know, blah, 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 blah. Okay. There's going to be a hole here, et cetera, et cetera. If he doesn't know how to read a defense, he can be the most accurate, greatest passer ever been. But if you can't read a defense in the NFL, Mm -hmm. good luck, you know, and, uh, that's kind of where it's at, you know, and, and I think, uh, I think in today's world too, something that we all have to do, but a lot of people, I feel like they, they don't want to accept this or they don't do it enough. You got to check your ego at the door sometimes. I mean, you know, I, I've been fortunate to become really good friends with a lot of guys that I consider, you know, some of the best killers in the game. Um, you know, Brian Barney and Dan Heverin and Travis Nowotny and, guys like that, that, that I've got to hunt with. I've spent a lot of time with Brian Barney, who I consider 
you know, if someone gave me a tag and said I couldn't bet on myself, I got to pick somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's life or death. This person has to fill this tag or I'm going to die. Oh, I mean, I'd have a hundred percent confidence. I'm taking Brian Varney all day. I mean, I just, you know, I just, I have nothing but confidence in that guy. Cause I've seen him do it. I've watched him do it. And I mean, I've got to share a lot of camps with him and, uh, you know, I have done, I have studied every, everything that guy does. I mean, from how he walks in dark timber to what, why is Bose set up the way it is just constant picking that guy's brain because early on in my Western hunting career, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't have the experience and I didn't have the knowledge, but he did. So for me, you know, I wasn't afraid to be like, Hey man, I have, I, I, I really truly don't know what the hell you're doing right now or why you're doing it or what, you know, why do you, I, I remember switching over to a back bar. I never ran a back bar stabilizer and I always just had a front. And I remember shooting his bow one time at his house in Fontana and I'm like, Oh my God. I'm like, dude, this freaking back bar set up like this is wild, you know? And he's like, Oh yeah, man. He's like, you're crazy not to have one of those. And I left that hunt. It was spring bears that year. I left that hunt. First thing I did when I got home, I went and got a 12 inch, a 10 inch, an eight inch and a 14 inch stabilizer. Spent about freaking $700 and I played (laughs) with those damn things until I found the combination I wanted and I shipped the ones I didn't need back. And to the, I mean, and for forever now, you know, that's the setup I have. And I would have never bought into that for who knows how long if I wouldn't have, you know, if I wouldn't have, have, have hunted with Brian and I could have easily have been like, no, man, that's not for me. I don't know. But, but here's the deal. I looked at it like, man, this guy, he kills all over everywhere he goes, right? He's got all this experience. There's a reason why he has this on his bow. There's a reason. And I'm like, okay, what, what's the benefits? Why, why are you running this? What's give me the, you know, the 401 on all this. And he did. And like I said, I came home and I got me a freaking back bar set up, buddy. And to this day, I mean, I run a 12 or a 14 up front and typically an eight or a 10 off the back on every bow setup I've ever had from that day on. You know, I play with the weights. Every setup's a little bit different, but oh my gosh, like I couldn't imagine not shooting a system like that. And that's all because of what I learned from him, you know, and there's a, there's a whole list of things I've learned from guys over the years, you know, even guys I don't hunt with, but I see what they're doing and I'll shoot them a message on Instagram. Hey, I want to pick your brain about this. Mm-hmm. If you get a chance, you know, I, I, I want to be as good as I can be. And, you know, I guess I learned it probably growing up on the farm and then through sports, you know, it, learning from somebody else, I've never looked at as a bad thing. And I think no, we all do. I mean, since we're yeah, conceived, right. you learn from and other people. Yeah. hundred percent. And and I think sometimes in today's world, probably could blame a little bit of this on social media and just jealousy and just people. Oh man, I wish I was that guy or oh, that freaking guy gets lucky all the time. You know, not actually giving credit where credit's due. Um, it's so easy to judge. I think we, we lose some of that sometimes. And instead of checking our ego and being like, man, oh, I just can't figure this out, but this guy has it figured out. You know what? I'm just going to ask him. Um, man, that's such an easy thing to do if you just let your mind do it. And you can learn so much. I mean, I, I, love, to, I love to help people. You know, I get messages like I'm sure you do every day. Someone's, you know, multiple messages. Hey, uh, 
what boots do you run? What pack do you run? What tent do you run? Why are you doing this? Why? And I, I try to get back to everybody in a timely fashion because I was that guy and I'm still that guy. I'm, I was just talking to, uh, just talking to uh, Remy Warren the other day and I shot him a message about uh, a tent that I saw him run. And I'm like, man, I've always wanted to run that thing. Mm-hmm. What do you think? You know? And I mean, I've been, I've run 50 tents over the years. And I mean, so I'm still constantly trying to pick people's brains, you know, but yeah, I, I think that's important too in today's world. Like it's uh, there's always something you can learn in, in, in the game of hunting and, and the game of life. And it's like, you know, you don't have to, Sometimes you got to check the ego at the door and, and really kind of refocus back on, hey, I can learn something from this guy or girl and it's going to help me. You know, it's not a bad thing. And I think in, in bow hunting, especially like the more tools you got in your tool bucket, the better off you are. And it's like, man, if I can pick something up that you do that I'm not good at or I've never done, but I can get good at it. Now I've got this other tool in my tool bucket that I didn't have and I might need it. You know, I might not need it for five years, but five years go by and I'm like, oh shit. I remember, mm-hmm. you know, I remember John telling me about this. Like I remember, I remember him explaining, well, you know, here's how I do it. And holy shit, now I need to use it. You know, and it's like, now I've got that knowledge. I've, I've, I'm, I'm able to obtain that now and potentially get an opportunity because of it. But yeah, I feel like sometimes, uh, we kind of forget how important that tool of learning actually is, especially in hunting. Cause there's just anybody that totally thinks they've got it figured out, go grab a bow or a gun and, and go chase critters around for a while. And trust me, you'll get humbled again. It'll happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, awesome, man. I want to thank you for coming on and uh, sharing some stories with us and your knowledge and it was a great uh great chat i i definitely want to have you back on and do uh more of a traditional podcast where i got some questions for you maybe talk sure. a little bit about mule deer hunting or or elk hunting or something like that and uh we'll go through some tactics and and share some of your knowledge with the listeners so uh i'd love to hey, have you back sounds, on yeah that sounds great man i uh, can't thank you enough for having me on and uh we're going to have to get you on, uh, get you on my series, get you on the CC hunt files and talk about, uh, man, I, I think I'm going to have to pick your brain on coos deer. Cause that's a hunt that I got my eyes set on in 2024. And, uh, I've yet to go on one and, and I want to bow hunt. Let's those make it suckers. happen, man. So, let's make man, it happen. I'll tell you what, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll have a pile of questions for you. Cause I know those wiry little suckers are hard to come by, especially with a bow. So that'd be a fun one, man. I'll be looking forward to it. Sounds good, man. Anytime. Absolutely. Hey, thanks again, man. Really appreciate it. Uh, Have a good one. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming. Helps us keep this free. Do me a favor, go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word. And check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much and we'll catch you on the next show.